0: series that we started last week or two few weeks ago, sorry, please forgive me. A few weeks ago. My how time flies. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Well we'll go ahead and go back to verse 41. I think we did that last week. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. When you have it, punch your neighbor or kick him in the shins, whichever is easier. Book of Acts, chapter number 2, verse... 41, on in my Bible, it's page 1152, don't know if that helps anybody, Acts 2, verse 41, then they that gladly received his word, whose word, his word, who was his, who was his? Peter, Peter pre- They that gladly received Peter's word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. God bless you. can be seated we're continuing our series talking about Pentecost continued what started out as a one lesson uh, lesson a few weeks ago Uh, God has turned into a man so far what one two three four lessons so far this is the fourth lesson amen God can God knows how to multiply praise God amen and and apparently, I get, I'm having more fun than, than some, some folks. Uh, <laughs> I will try to be a little more cognizant of the time. However, there is no clock on the back wall tonight, so I don't know what time it is. Amen. <laughs> hey, so no doubt, no doubt somebody will, will let me know. Uh, if I get to 9 o'clock, uh, you guys can just stand up, okay? Don't leave, just stand up. You, yeah. the, <laughs> the folks at home have an advantage, they can just turn me off. Uh, they, <laughs> I wouldn't know, so they can just do that. But folks at home, if you do that, God help you, you're a heathen. Amen. I'm just teasing. But really, amen. So we're, we're talking about Pentecost continued. Something miraculous happened on that special day. They were waiting, they were praying, they were seeking God. How many people were in that upper room? About 120. Gathered together in an upper room, and they were waiting for what? Outpouring of the Holy Ghost, Comforter, the promise of the Father. Right. Amen. And so so they were were waiting, and, and the Bible says that when... When the day of Pentecost was come, that they were all with one accord in one place. In other words, they had their mind and their heart set all together on the same thing. Praise God. And so when that happened, God poured out his spirit on that day upon those 120. But it didn't just pour out upon those 120. Because... What tends to happen, as, as Jesus said, that it will be in you a well of water springing up into everlasting life, it began to bubble over. And those 120, as they were speaking in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance, people outside began to hear what was going on. And they began to ask, they marveled, the Scripture says, what does this mean, what, what's happening here? And some began to mock, accusing them, saying "This is, they're drunk. They're full of new wine. Well, Peter stood up, and he didn't stand up by himself. He stood up with the other 11 apostles, and he began to preach. We, uh, we've talked about the sermon that he preached on that day, and he preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, and when when it came down to the, to the crux of the issue, when, they, when the, G- Peter was finally done preaching, they said, well, well, what do we do with what you just preached to us? Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, repent, be baptized, who? Every one of you, how? In the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he said, the promise is for you, for all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so when that happened, those people that were there that that asked that question, that felt conviction in their heart, they responded to what Peter preached. Not just to what about Jesus, but about when they asked him, what do we do with this? When we hear Peter's response, repent, baptize in Jesus' name, every one of you. you, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, they responded to that. And the Bible says there were added unto them about 3,000 souls that day. How awesome is that? And so our our hope is because what we we see in the Scripture is is that Pentecost didn't stop on that day. Pentecost continued. Amen. And so we are praying today. That Pentecost would continue, not just for places somewhere else in the world, but that it would continue right here in Sarasota, that it would happen among us, and not just in this building. Praise God. It needs to spill out. It needs to get out of these four walls. Somebody say amen. Praise God. And so... so. What was it that caused Pentecost to be able to continue? They could have just said, hey, we got our gift. We're good. We're going home. Amen. But there was something that happened among all of them that allowed Pentecost to continue. And we have that in our in our text, that they continued steadfastly. The Apostles' Doctrine and Fellowship and in Breaking of Bread and in Prayers. We've talked about the, what it means to continue steadfastly, that they, they were in diligent pursuit. Folks, let me just pause. I, I, I keep making comment about this. I didn't want to make it a separate lesson uh, at the beginning, but but when we talk about sp- steadfastly, that diligent pursuit, Folks, we are far too at ease when it comes to our service of God. We are far too comfortable with our air conditioning, our padded chairs, our nice carpet, our great music, our preaching. We're far too comfortable with with the motions that we go through. Because we relegate Pentecost to these four walls within a certain span of time. If God's going to do something, he's got to do it between 11 o'clock and roughly 1230, depending on how long pastor preaches, on Sunday. And God help us if, if the Holy Ghost breaks out on a Wednesday. Somebody here your pastor tonight. We're far too comfortable. The Lord needs to stir us up and shake us up. Folks, we don't have to wait for the promise of the Father anymore. We have access every day, every moment. god help us when we get together folks that that's when it should just just bubble over that's when then when when you start to to see the 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 the, like like a chemical reaction in in the lab you know it just starts to the, the 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 beakers just start to bubble and 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 the foam starts to come over the top that's what needs to happen among the church But not just here, in our homes, on our jobs. Folks, if we want the blessing of God, if we want the move of God, Pentecost has to continue in each of us individually and collectively as a body. Somebody say amen. And if it's going to continue, we have to steadfastly, diligently pursue it. That doesn't mean waiting for the pastor, the preacher, to shake you enough. Amen. Doesn't have to scream too loud. Amen. It simply comes from a hunger, a desire, a passion. I want to see God move in in and through my life. Steadfastly. And those things that they continued steadfastly in, we talked first about the apostles' doctrine. Peter preached it on the day of Pentecost. It was all revealed in there, the things that we must follow, the gospel of Jesus Christ primarily. Amen. Amen. And so they continued in that. They taught that doctrine. They lived that doctrine. You have that all through the book of Acts. But in there, they also continued, not just in the apostles' doctrine, but what else did they continue in? What were we talked about last week. Fellowship. Fellowship. And so that fellowship, what's the Greek word for that? Not Not akuna matata. <laughs> it's your funny bone, huh? It's koinonia. Yes. Koinonia. Koinonia, that's the Greek word. And so that is, that is what's that? <laughs> it, it's it's communion, it's it's joint participation, it's unity, it's the sharing that that the the group has. It's the It's the connectivity that the body has. Fellowship. And, folks, if there's anything that Pentecostal churches need to get better at, it's fellowship. I'm serious. Because if, if, we, if we declare that we have the truth of the word, then we can't just keep the truth of the word or continue in the apostles' doctrine and not let fellowship become a deeper part of who we are. Fellowship is beyond just sitting after church. Fellowship is beyond just having coffee and donuts on Sunday morning. fellowship goes deeper and i i'm i'll say it here for our church we need deeper fellowship fellowship that finds connection not just surface relationships because it's so easy because we of how we relate in our world, our world has trained us and we bring it into the church is that we live on the surface. We don't want to go deeper. We don't want to let somebody in. Why? Because it gives potential for hurt. I've seen it in our church, folks, and I'm not exempt from it either. Some some of us are, are uh, extroverts. Some of us are introverts. But that doesn't give us an, a reason or an excuse to not get deeper fellowship. When I say deeper fellowship, what I'm talking about is the definition of koinonia. It is the unity, it's the sharing, it's getting to the deeper part of who we are. Do you really know the people who are sitting uh, across the aisle from you? Do you really know who they are, their their families? Do you know what they're dealing with? Folks, that's our issue. That's an issue, I'll I'll say more appropriately. That's an issue. Because we don't go deeper. Some of you are already uncomfortable because you think I'm going to push you to do something. We need to dive deeper because we've got people among us that are hurting in ways that we cannot see and we don't understand. But what they need is they don't need somebody to fix their problems. They need somebody to share with them. How do we share? First of all, we get to to listen. We get to connect. And in that connection, we pray together. We, We share the word of God together. There's deeper places that we can go in fellowship with one another. we're going to get into some of this tonight too so because it's connected but when you think about fellowship if you if you don't know the depth and folks I'm not telling you to go out and just just share blast everything out to everybody around you Obviously, there's wisdom in how much you're going to share it with whom. <laughs> Some people will share not only their stuff, but they'll share your stuff, too. <laughs> you Understand? Understand what I mean? So just, I'm not telling you just to go blast it to everybody, but use wisdom and be willing to go deeper in your relationship with your brothers and sisters in the church. Because that's what fellowship does is it shares the burden it shares the the the, the joy it shares the pains and the heartaches as a pastor there's times I wish that there was more I could do for somebody but I hurt for you and I pray for you but that's what fellowship is is it is it allows us to share those burdens, the joys, the sorrows, the high points and the low points. Fellowship. Amen. So I'm not going to dive back deep into that, that again, but that that needed to be restated because it it leads into what we're talking about tonight. When they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The apostles, when you, again, you're looking at the English grammar, the apostles are, that's, the the grammar is stating that it's, it's their doctrine and their fellowship. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So the fellowship that was being exampled was by the apostles. So those that came after, those 3,000, those within the 120 that weren't the apostles, who patterned what fellowship was like? The apostles did. Well, folks, who are the apostles to our world? Who are the disciples that go into our world? It's us. And so we must continue in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Be an example of the believers like, is like what Paul told Timothy. Amen. All right. So when we read that scripture, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. But the next part is, and you can see why it would be closely linked, is that it is also in breaking of bread. Anybody like to eat? <laughs> Amen. So, so says two of the skinniest people among us. God help you. I just, I just thought about food and I gained five pounds. <laughs> Amen. So when we talk about the breaking of bread. It does go to a degree hand in hand with fellowship, because when we think about fellowship, the first place that we go is to our points of eating or or having a coffee, something that that food is involved. Am I am I right? That's where we're. When we think of fellowship, it just automatically is linked to food. I'm glad we're Pentecostals. Praise God. And so, uh, when we when we read the scripture, and we try to gain understanding, because you would think that if it was that closely linked, that why would they say it twice? And and it doesn't sound like they're they're repeating for emphasis, which happens right? Just take notice whenever a preacher is preaching, myself included, that you'll hear the same, th- same thing three times in three different ways for emphasis. But that's not what's happening here. You'll see that at different points in scripture where there's, there's emphasis being added, but it's being said in multiple ways to drive the point home. But that's not what's happening. Because each of these are part of the list. They continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. All different things. So where does the separation come? So when we talk about breaking of bread, it carries the connotation of sharing a meal together. It refers to uh, the, the dividing of the bread because they, they ate differently than we do today. Uh, they... they Uh, Didn't have all the things that we have to be able to to eat as far as our cutlery and and those things that that we we are so thankful for. Uh, But uh, but one of the things when they when they had bread, they didn't have bread slices like we do. So they couldn't just just pass around the loaf of bread and and everybody take a slice. No, they they would break the, the loaf of bread the, the head of the home they would break the loaf of the bread and they would give thanks unto God and we're going to talk about that in just a minute but that's that's where the breaking of bread comes in is, is a sharing of a meal between guests that are uh, part or coming to someone's home. But it's unclear as to the exact intent of what breaking bread actually means in the context. There are two different thoughts that come to the top of these uh, the possibilities uh, in this text. Number one, it could be referring to something that we uh, we uh, remember or partake of periodically. Anybody think of what that is? Communion, the Lord's Supper. So the, the, the first school of thought is that it's referring to uh, the, the Last Supper or communion. The second uh, school of thought is that it's referring simply to the gathering of saints for meals or feasts. So those are the two thoughts behind what breaking of bread means because there is no specific uh, uh, illustration in this context as to what it is. Okay. We're going to look a little closer at both of these. And in both, we don't have to seek to prove one right and one wrong. Everybody with me? So the two schools of thought as to what breaking of bread is, is that it's, it's talking about communion or the Lord's Supper, or it's talking about sharing a meal, basically. Okay, We don't have to prove one right and the other wrong. They can both be right, and they can both find application into our spiritual walk. Everybody with me? So let's talk about communion. Where, When we talk about communion, where what does that go back to? What's the starting point of that? Okay, first communion, what's that? Okay, so so when Jesus sat down with his disciples at what we call the Last Supper. Okay. Okay, that's a that's a good example. We're going to actually read that scripture tonight. Uh, so, but but okay, Joey's along actually the right lines here. Where does, where does it begin? Where does it start? What were they doing when they, when they observed the Last Supper? What were, the, what were they observing? Or celebrating? No, because that hadn't happened yet. Passover. There we go. What they were doing at the Last Supper was simply observing the Passover feast. Right? So when we talk about communion, it goes all the way back to the book of Exodus, to the Passover. It carries that great of significance for the Hebrew people. And what we see uh, is uh, you don't hear hear me often talk about uh, talk about this, but but there is a thing called typology. Anybody ever heard of typology? Okay, one person nodding their head. Okay? Okay? Typology. Typology simply says or, or shows that in the Old Testament, for example, something that happened or something that was is a type of something that was to come. Okay? So the example is when we look at the Passover lamb. You remember what happened in the book of Exodus, right? And those those 10 plagues, the 10th plague was the the Passover. That was when they were told that the, the plague of death was coming. So they needed, to take, they needed to take a lamb, catch the blood of that lamb as they slay it, and smear the, the blood of that lamb on the doorpost and lintel of their homes, and death would pass over their home. Okay, that's how they were able to escape that plague. Uh, plague, but that Passover lamb becomes a type of Christ. Anybody want to guess why it becomes a type of Christ? Okay, I'm going to ask somebody else tonight for something. Then, so I know you are. I know you are. So you're he's. He's right. The Passover lamb becomes a type of Christ because like the Passover lamb, it became the sacrifice to save those that were inside the home. And so Christ died to save us. It was his blood like it was the blood of that lamb. And there, there's a, a, a significant uh, scripture that, is, that it, we often quote Uh, or quote from, I should say, uh, in Revelation, where it refers to Jesus being the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Okay? In other words, he died, so we didn't have to. He became our Passover lamb. That's what typology is. Everybody with me? Okay. If it's really quick. We're not going to deal with that tonight. It's a good question, but not tonight. (laughs) So, we, we see the typology of Jesus being the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So, Jesus begins, so there's significance for the Hebrew people that reaches all the way back to the book of Exodus. But Jesus begins a new significance and observation of this feast through what we now call communion or the Last Supper that he started with his disciples. And that can be read uh, uh, into the text at certain points within the book of Acts as far as we talk about breaking of bread, that it's referring to uh, the the, uh, Last Supper or communion. Uh, It can be read within the epistles at different points. Uh, But there are specific points that we clearly read about the breaking of bread with uh, regard to the remembrance of Jesus. When it comes, and I'm going to throw this out to you, uh, when it comes to communion, I'm going to get to Derek's point that he made. When it comes to communion, that is the, the eating of, the, uh, for us, the wafers and the grape juice. Okay. When it comes to observing communion, there are some churches, specifically Catholic churches uh, and similar churches that, that come from uh, Catholicism that teach a doctrine called transubstantiation. You want to sound smart? Just punch your neighbor and say transubstantiation. <laughs> transubstantiation. Not transgenderism. Transubstantiation, changing of substance. Changing of substance. Transubstantiation is the doctrine that essentially, when communion is taken, that when that wafer uh, hits your tongue, it literally becomes the body of Christ. It's no longer a wafer, it literally becomes the body of Christ, his flesh. Transubstantiation teaches that when you drink of the wine or the grape juice, that it literally becomes the blood of Christ. Okay? Some of you are thinking, that's weird. <laughs> well, it is. But let me just show you where it may come from. Uh, in John chapter 6, verse 53... And we're going to read more to this text in a little bit, uh, or or the context, I should say, uh, because there are some scriptures surrounding this that Jesus gives in context. But John chapter 6, verse 53, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him. That's enough to throw some people off. It threw some of the people off that he was talking to. Like, What's he talking about? Is he diving into cannibalism? Not at all. Not at all. We'll get more into the context of that in a little bit, but that's that's where that transubstantiation doctrine potentially comes from. is is a misunderstanding and misrepresentation of that those scriptures and the context that are that surround it. But Jesus gave deeper meaning. At a point later when he sat down at the Last Supper and he would share uh, that, that communion, that, that that meal, that Passover meal with his disciples. Because if Jesus truly meant that they were to physically eat his body and drink his blood, then what he tells his disciples later comes in direct conflict with that. Okay, and that's not what happens. Jesus, Jesus is simply helping to illustrate what needs to happen. Same with us taking up our cross, right? Now, if it came down to it, could we potentially be called on to carry our own cross physically? Yes, but Jesus' point was is that you've got to be willing to carry the burden associated with the cross. That you've got to be willing to to take the pain of death and persecution as a Christian. Because Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Well, he wouldn't have many followers if they all died. Right? <laughs> so, so Jesus uses certain things, certain points, to illustrate what he's trying to communicate. So he was not talking physically that we're going to eat his body and drink his blood. What we see is later on in Luke chapter 22, verse 14, Jesus gives deeper explanation. This is when he is sitting down with his disciples at the Passover feast. When the hour was come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. He said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this, divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So Jesus gives deeper understanding of what he was saying earlier uh, in the Gospels. Because now he's showing them that this is not, this, this, this cup is not my physical blood. It hasn't been shed yet. It's not, the bread is not my physical body. It hasn't been broken yet. Everybody with me? Now, from there, we go into uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20, we're going to see that Paul is addressing the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth is really just having, making a mess of some things. They've got some relational issues going on with certain people in the church. It's a mess. They've got some divisions that are happening because of doctrines that people are, are preaching. Because keep in mind, Paul, when, he's, when he, he went out, he, went, he was called to the Gentiles, right? The Gentiles were those other nations that were around them, those other peoples that had uh, other gods, right? And so, so when those people, those Gentiles, would come into the church... They would bring their history, their past, with them, right? Because they were used to, to worshiping in temples of false gods. And so they would try to bring with them in their worship to the one true God, they would bring some of those other practices. And so Paul would have to address those things because some of those things people were getting, they were, it was dividing the church and it was causing problems. So when it came to the breaking of bread or the observance of the Lord's uh, Supper or the Last Supper or the Passover, whatever you want to call it, when it came to that communion, because they were observing it, Jesus told them, as oft as you do, do in remembrance of me, right? So as often as they did, there was some problems happening within the, the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty. I'll try and help you understand through the King James English. <laughs> he said, when you come together, therefore, in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Some people, some translations have that as it's not possible for you to eat the Lord's Supper when you come together. And there's, there's multiple reasons for that. Verse 21. For in eating, everyone takes before his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. Okay? There, there, there's a few ways that, a couple ways that you can look at this as to what's happening. Is that either that they're making this common, right? That the, they're making the Lord's Supper common. It's, it's like the rest of their meals. That's one way of, of reading that. Another way is that there is a division happening within the church because of of, uh, race, ethnicity, economic class, okay? And so some people were were getting to uh, partake of this first, and others were being left to wait. Others were getting drunk. And so so there's multiple parts that are going on here that that, uh, we often miss in the King James. But understand, Paul says in verse 22, what? Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. In other words, you're not doing good when you come together for for church, when you come together for fellowship at the body. You don't leave people out. You don't exclude people. You don't you don't. uh, 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 How do I say it? Um, Favoritism is a way to put it, Uh, but but when. When it came to their, their coming together as, as a collective group, there's a time for a feast. But if they're coming together, uh, Paul, what Paul is trying to say, when you're coming together and observing the Lord's Supper, when you're coming together and observing uh, that, that remembrance of Christ, this is not something that you can exclude people from. This is not something that you turn into a feast. This is something that is different and special, that carries significance and weight to it. It is the remembrance of Christ. And so he says, eat at your homes. Don't come, come hungry to observe the Lord's Supper And just pig out, right? He says, for verse twenty-three, for I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he betrayed, took bread. When he given thanks, he brake it, said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he took the cup. When he supped, and said, saying, This cup is the new testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it. In remembrance of me, for as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. This carries significance. Wherefore, and, and this is where uh, I want you, everybody to hear this, when he says in verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, so let him eat that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Okay, He is not talking about uh, sin in your life as far as taking communion. He's not talking about sin in your life as far as eating it or drinking it unworthily. He's not talking about uh, the temptations that you've been confronted with. What he's talking about is the mockery that they've made of the Lord's Supper. That it's become commonplace and even ex- exclusatory or whatever however you say that word, exclusionary, one of those words will work. That it's for everybody. Amen. verse 34 jump down there he says if any man hungers eat at home that you don't come together under condemnation and he says i'll set the rest of you in order when i get there (laughs) i love that absolutely take it seriously take it seriously amen they had turned the remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice into something it was not intended or designed to be. They turned it into something common, but even worse, they turned it into something fleshly. The church, I want you to hear me, the church should not be divided, must not be divided For any reason, no race, no ethnicity, no economic class, no age, the church must not be divided. And so that's the first school of thought when we read about uh, Pentecost continuing, that they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine and Fellowship and breaking of bread. That's the first school of thought regarding breaking of bread is that it's speaking of communion, of the Lord's Supper. The second school of thought, as I mentioned, is simply sharing a meal together. Sharing a meal together. Uh, it was common to have uh, communal meals together. Very similar to what we've had in recent weeks. At a graduation uh Fellowship after service, we had uh, birthday fellowship after service. Okay, those are times that we can share a communal meal, right? Communal meals were so important to the Jewish people, they served social purposes because they brought people together. They also served religious function in a variety of different ways. In its simplest form, for the Jews, each and every meal was a religious event to the extent that it was accompanied by the giving of thanks to God for their food. Do you pray for your food? Do you thank God for your food? They sure did. In its greater complexity, we see a variety of meals that uh, are religious by their very nature as joey was pointing out S- sabbath meals uh the main meal at the beginning of sabbath they would pray and they would give thanks to the lord uh, passover and other festivals and those meals they would pray and give thanks to the lord specifically related to those events uh, but the jewish daily meals anybody like to eat every day I may like to eat multiple times a day. Hallelujah. Jewish daily meals began with a giving of thanks to God. But also the early church, while attending synagogue and the temple, because when you read the book of Acts, you can read that they continued, they would go to synagogue and they would go to the temple at the time of prayer. But also, in some instances, they met from house to house. Met from house to house. It wasn't strictly by default, but rather deliberately. Remember, they continued steadfastly in these things. So deliberately, they sought to get together. We read that scripture last week, or quoted that scripture last week, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. We need to get together. That's how you fellowship. But in that fellowship, there was indeed a breaking of bread. And so uh, getting together in their homes would uh, accommodate the practices of this new church. That's how they would would get together and, and learn of the scripture and how it points the way to Christ. That's how they would learn of the teachings of Jesus as the apostles continued to tell everybody about what Jesus taught them. Right? That's how they continued in the apostles' doctrine. And one of those practices that we've read about was the breaking of bread. Their homes would provide the space and the opportunity for observation of the Lord's Supper, but would also provide the opportunity for sharing meals together. Remember, at this time, in the early part of the book of Acts, specifically, we're told that the church had all things in common, or all things common, not all things in common, all things common. They were putting their stuff together, their finances, so that they could distribute to the widows and the poor. And so this would, uh, would allow them to have those meals together and break bread together. You know, simply, in our generation, it just gives you a total different feeling when you say that you're breaking bread with somebody, doesn't it? Rather than just going out for coffee or... or, or uh, uh, you know, going out for dinner is a different feel when you say I'm breaking bread with somebody because there is connection associated with that and it goes back generations, thousands of years back it's no coincidence that when meals were no longer featured in the gatherings of the church that the house the house setting was no longer necessary, that's when they, they began to go to uh, what we translate as basilica's Uh, But I want you to think for a second about the growth of the church. Think about the growth of the church. We make a big deal of what happened in the book of Acts chapter 10. Anybody know what happened in Acts chapter 10? While you think about that, I'm going to take a sip sip of water. Mmm. The conversion of Cornelius. Who was Cornelius? He's a centurion, a Roman centurion. What else was Cornelius? No, good guess, though. He was a Gentile. So he was a Roman centurion, but as a Roman centurion, he was not a Jew, so that made him a Gentile, right? So think about what's happening in the church when that happens. There were people in the church that were not happy, that were shocked, however you want to look at it, when Cornelius and his house received the Holy Ghost and were baptized. Because up to that point, the church was made up of Jews. And so now, all of a sudden... They can't deny that what the Lord is doing because the Lord gave Cornelius and his house the Holy Ghost just like he did those three thousand plus souls on the day of Pentecost. Right? So what do you do? Can you deny deny what God is doing? No. That's why Paul was able to write something and, and, and we're gonna read a few scriptures that are really going to drive the point home because this was a major deal. This was a big deal in the church. This was a, this was uh, uh, as some people in the, in the uh, business world would say it was a paradigm shift. They had to shift things in their mind, their heart because the Jews did not get along. They, they, were, they were not in, them, in their culture. They were not uh, part and parcel to fellowship or get together with Gentiles. But Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And we often stop there. And we say, yes, amen, preach it. Not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. But does he stop there? He keeps going. He says, to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, as Peter reached Cornelius... Paul is reaching for the Gentiles in other cities and other nations. And what is happening is that Jews now in the church have to share a table of fellowship, a table of breaking bread with Gentiles. Hmm. Early Christian gatherings, especially for meals, took on added significance when Gentile converts were now included. Because now, what's happening in the Spirit is messing with things in the natural. Isn't that that amazing? We need to wrap our minds around what was happening there. For a devout Jew to associate with a Gentile, or in other words, a sinner... It was perilous for them. We see that in the Gospels when, when the Pharisees criticized Jesus for eating with publicans and sinners. But look at what Paul records in multiple places, and I want you to, to keep up with me. I'm almost done. I say I'm almost done. Let me see. Okay, I'm almost done. We've got time. It's not 9 o'clock yet not nine o'clock yet first corinthians chapter 12 verse 13 for by how many spirits by one spirit we all are we all baptized into one body whether we be jews or gentiles whether be bond or free and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. In the Spirit, through the Holy Ghost, God was breaking down barriers, God had torn down the things that would cause division such as race, nationality, economic class. It didn't matter. We've all been baptized into one body. Galatians 3, verse 26, he writes to the church in Galatia. He says, you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So he's talking to everybody. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Think of it this way for just a second. Okay? He says, As many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words, it's no longer you, Sister Raina. It's no longer you, Brother Joey. It's no longer you, Sister Laura. When people see you, they should see Christ. And if they're seeing Christ, they're not seeing where you're from, or what you look like, or what color skin you have, or your economic background. Doesn't matter. Because when we're baptized into Christ, we put on Christ. So all of those things now are out the window. Now there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free. It's Christ. Isn't that awesome? And God help anybody that tries to put those divisions back up. That's a whole other subject. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10. Very similar type message but he's writing to another church paul was a missionary he, he was looking after multiple churches this is this no this is all in asia minor colossians chapter 3 verse 10 and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him very similar to what i just said and we're baptizing to christ we put on christ So it's a different image than who you were. Where where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian or Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Folks, let me just, with the illustration I just gave, if we take that last statement and look at everybody in here, Christ is all, he's in all. So we should not ever be focused on any of those, those things that would bring those divisions again. For when we see each other, we should see Christ, and we should respond as Christ. Put on, therefore, the ele- as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. That's a heart, right? Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you are called, where? In one body. And be thankful. You're called in one body. When it comes down to it, I want you to listen to what Jesus says and go back to the context, The con- when we talked about, Jesus said that, that eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. We're going to go back to the context. Okay? We're talking about how Pentecost was continued. They continued steadfastly in the Apostle Doctrine and Fellowship and in breaking of bread. Listen to what Jesus says. John chapter 6, verse 31. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gave, giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is what? Give him a chance to catch up. For the bread of God Is what? Is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. Wow. You ever read past that any time? Didn't catch that? Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. He that believes on me shall never thirst. Jump down to verse 47. This all surrounds the text that we read earlier. Verse 47, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believes on me has everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Wow. Jesus explains, I am the bread of life. So when we talk about the fact, and we're going to finish with one last scripture, you can go ahead and stand tonight. When we talk about the, they continued steadfast, the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread. Folks, I told you, it doesn't have to be proving one right that it was the Lord's Supper and the other proving the other wrong that it was sharing of meals. It could be both together because they both accomplish what Jesus is trying to do in His church. He's trying to bring us together as a body. You understand that we are the body of Christ, right? We are the body of Christ. And so when you, when we, when we remember the Lord and what he did through communion, when we have those, those Sundays we try every, once every quarter, when we have those times of communion where we, where we take of the wafer and of the, the grape juice, And we remember what the Lord had done for us. Those are special times, and that needs to be treated special. But I want you to see what Paul says. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. He says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? You hear that? Let me read that again. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Verse 17. For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. It's not just the Lord's Supper in in observing the communion. But when we break bread together, we're recognizing that we're part of one body, the body of Christ. That what was broken before is now bringing us together. Isn't that awesome? If we want Pentecost to continue, when we get together and share a meal, let's remember who we are, the body of Christ. That when we decide to to proverbially break bread together, that just simply by doing that, we're remembering the Lord, and what He has done for us. Wow. I told you that fellowship and breaking of bread can go hand in hand. But they are indeed separate. And it illustrate, it's illustrated through what we've talked about tonight. But in... in closing tonight, I want you to remember that the church steadfastly pursued these things. Fellowship and breaking of bread were part of that. We need to pursue fellowship and breaking bread among us. Not to the exclusion of certain people. It's easy It's easy for us to be comfortable with the people that we're comfortable with. But I challenge you, challenge you to reach out to others in the body because the eye can't say of the toe, I have no need of you. Reach out to each other, share with one another, have a meal together, and in having the meal together, Give thanks unto God, and in so doing, you are remembering what Christ has done for you. Somebody say amen. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for the precious blood and and flesh that was spilt and broken for us. But thank you, Lord, even more that those things accomplish the bringing together of this body. That you brought each of us, Lord, into fellowship as the body of Christ. And, Lord, I pray tonight that as we go from this place, God, I pray, move us out of our comforts. Stir us, Lord, into a place, God, that we are seeking, steadfastly desiring, pursuing those things in our lives that, that not just the apostles' doctrine, but, God, the fellowship and the breaking of bread with our brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that in this, you would bring unity among us. That in this, Lord, you would bind us together with bonds that cannot be broken. Lord, I pray that in this, you would be glorified in each of our lives and ultimately in this body, as we call the Pentecostals of Sarasota. God, we simply want to be a light of your gospel to this dark world.